0: When Eleanor Roosevelt was first married, she worried for days because her new cook had served a poor meal. But if that happened now, Mrs. Roosevelt said, I would shrug my shoulders to forget it. Good. That is, acting like an adult emotionally. Even Catherine the Great, an absolute autocrat, used to laugh the thing off when the cook spoiled a meal. Mrs. Carnegie and I had dinner at a friend's house in Chicago. While carving the meat, he did something wrong. I didn't notice it, and I wouldn't have cared if he, even if I had noticed it. But his wife saw it and jumped down his throat right in front of us. John! she cried. "What what you are doing. Can't you ever learn to serve properly? Then she said to us, He's always making mistakes. He just doesn't try. Maybe he didn't try to carve, but I certainly give him credit for trying to live with her for 20 years. Frankly, I would rather have eaten a couple of hot dogs with mustard in an atmosphere of peace than to have dined and pecking duck and shark fins while listening to her scolding. Shortly after that experience, Mrs. Carnegie and I had some friends at our home for dinner. Just before they arrived, Mrs. Carnegie found that three of the napkins didn't match the tablecloth. I rushed to the cook. She told me later, and found that the other three napkins had gone to the laundry. The guests were at the door. There was no time to change. I felt like bursting to tears. All I could think was, why did this stupid mistake have to spoil my whole evening? And I thought, well, why let it? I went into dinner, determined to have a good time, and I did. I would much rather our friends think I'm a sloppy housekeeper she told me then a nervous bad-tempered one and anyhow as far as i could make out no one noticed the napkins a well-known legal maxim says "De minimis not curat lex the law does not concern itself with trifles and neither should the warrior if he wants peace of mind much of the time all we need to overcome the annoyance of trifles is to affect a shifting of emphasis set up a new and pleasurable point of view in the mind My friend Homer and Croy, who wrote They Had to See Paris and a dozen other books, gives a wonderful example of how this can be done. He used to be driven half-crazy while working on a book by the rattling of the radiators in his New York apartment. The steam would bang and sizzle, and he would sizzle with irritation as he sat at his desk. Then, says Homer Croy, I went with some friends on a camping expedition. While listening to the limbs crackling in the roaring fire, I thought how much they sounded like the crackling of the radiators. Why should I like one and hate the other? When I went home, I said to myself, the crackling of the limbs in the fire was a pleasant sound. The sound of the radiators is about the same. I'll go to sleep and not worry about the noise. And I did. For a few days, I was conscious of the radiators, but soon I forgot all about them. And so it is with many petty worries. We dislike them and get interest too, all because we exaggerate their importance. Disraeli said, Life is too short to belittle. Those words, said Andre Mauro in This Week magazine, have helped me through many a painful experience. Often we allow ourselves to be upset by small things we should despise and forget. Here we are on this earth be it only a few more decades to live. I will lose many replaceable hours brooding over grievances so that, that any year's time will be forgotten by us and by everybody. No. Let us devote our life to worthwhile actions and feelings, to great thoughts, real affections, and enduring undertakings. For life is too short to put it all. Even so illustrious a figure as Rudyard Kipling forgot at times that Life is too short to belittle. The result? He and his brother-in-law fought the most famous court battle in the history of Vermont. A battle so celebrated that a book has been written about it. Rudyard Kipling's Vermont Feud. The story goes like this. Kipling married a Vermont girl. Caroline Ballistier, Built a lovely home in Brattleboro, Vermont. Settled down and expected to spend the rest of his life there. His brother-in-law... Beatty Balestier became Kipling's best friend. The two of them worked and played together. Then, Kipling bought some land from Balestier, with the understanding that Balestier would be allowed to cut hay off it each season. One day, Balestier found Kipling laying out a flower garden in his hay field. His blood boiled! He hit the ceiling! Kipling fired right back. The air over the green mountains of Vermont turned blue. A few days later, when Kipling was out riding his bicycle, his brother-in-law drove a wagon and a team of horses across the road suddenly and forced Kipling to take a spell. And Kipling, the man who wrote, If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, he lost his own head and swore out a warrant for Ballistier's arrest. A sensational trial followed. Reporters from the big cities poured into the town. The news flashed around the world nothing was settled this quarrel caused kipling and his wife to abandon their american home for the rest of their lives all that worry and bitterness over a mere trifle a load of hay pericle said 24 centuries ago come gentlemen we sit too long on trifles well we do indeed here is one of the most interesting stories that dr harry emerson fought sick Ever told a story about the battles won and lost by a giant of the forest. On the slope of Longs Peak in Colorado lies the ruin of a gigantic tree. Naturalists tell us that it stood for some 400 years. It was a seedling when Columbus landed at San Salvador and a half-grown when the Pilgrims settled at Plymouth. During the course of its long life, it was struck by lightning 14 times, and the innumerable avalanches and storms of four centuries thundered past it. It survived them all. In the end, however, an army of beetles attacked the tree and leveled it to the ground. The insects ate their way through the bark and gradually destroyed the inner strength of the tree by their tiny but incessant attacks. A forest giant which age had not withered, nor lightning blasted, nor storm subdued, fell at last before beetles so small that a man could crush between his forefinger and his thumb. Aren't we all like that, battling giant of the forest? Don't we manage somehow that to survive the rare storms and avalanches and lightning blasts of life only to let our hearts be eaten out by little beetles of furry? Little beetles that could be crushed between a finger and a thumb? I traveled through the Teton National Park in Wyoming with Charles Seyfried highway superintendent for the state of Wyoming, and some of his friends. We were all going to visit the John D. Rockefeller estate at the park, but the car in which I was riding took the wrong turn, got lost, and drove up to the entrance of the estate an hour after the other cars had gone in. Mr. Seyfried had the key that unlocked the private gate, so he waited in the hot, mosquito-infested woods for an hour until we arrived. mosquitoes were enough to drive a saint insane, but they couldn't triumph over Charles Seyfried. While waiting for us, he cut a limb off an aspen tree and made a whistle of it. When we arrived, was he cussing the mosquitoes? No, he was playing his whistle. I have kept that whistle as a memento of a man who knew how to put trifles in their place. To break the worry habit before it breaks you, here is rule two. Let us not allow ourselves to be upset by small things we should despise and forget. Remember, life is too short to belittle.